the spiral of addiction where it came to light that, oh, I'm, I'm an addict. Being on the phone with somebody, they were yelling at me, you need help. And I Googled sex addiction. There's not a ton of that help for that out, out there, but there was here called and made an appointment. Um, but that's when like everything hit the fan. It was very clear, it was, Chris, your, your time on staff at Collective is done. Maggie kicked me out. I'm leaving my wife and my one-year-old at the time. Literally showed up at my parents' doorstep. I'm, all, I'm at the bottom, I'm at, at the floor that I didn't even know was there. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday over the next year, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Your Story Matters podcast. We are on episode 10, and I'm really excited today because uh, I'm sitting down with one of my closest friends, someone who's been a part of my life for a really long time. Um, somebody who has helped me uh, be the person I am uh, today and the, the leader that I am. He's pushed me and challenged me. And um, he's got an incredible story, he and his wife both. And I'm excited for them to share uh, in a two-parter. So I'm going to tell you up front that uh, this is just the first half and, and the second half will come out next week. And so today I'm sitting down with Chris Wells. Um, Chris is uh, one of my closest friends. He's a leader here at Collective, and uh, just so thankful for him. Uh, Chris, thank you for being with us today. And um, you've shared your story in the past, a few years ago, and um, it was just five minutes of a story, just a really small part of it. Yeah, and and Maggie has shared a little bit as well, and so. Um, today, for those of you who have heard Chris's story and Maggie's story, this is kind of the extended cut. You get the uh, kind of bigger picture of it, which is uh, really exciting. And so, um, Chris, why don't we kick things off today? Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us where you grew up. Um, what was your childhood like? And uh, what what did faith do in your childhood? What, what part did faith play, church play, kind of all that stuff? Sure. That's a lot. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Um, you know, when we got to share our story a few years ago, um, it was, you know, it was, it was, you know, a short video that you fit into a sermon, yep. right? Um, and um, we were thankful to do that then, but it was, it was also like, it was still pretty raw then. Like it was, um, you know, not a ton of time had passed since everything, you know, it had been, you know, within a year and a half of like all of the the craziness. Um, and so now, you know, some additional time has passed, some more growth has happened and, um, more kids have happened. (laughs) Um, and so we're in a, you know, much different phase of life 
than we were then. So I'm really excited to be able to share a lot of that now. Um, Well, and let me just say this too, um, because you bring up a really good point that we haven't been able to talk about on the podcast a lot yet. A lot of the stories that we share, like do not have a bow on them. And that is intentional because they never have the bow on them. You know, when your faith is in Jesus and you um, keep growing and keep healing and, and, and all of that. And so, yeah, in 2019, when, when you guys shared, it was still very new and very fresh. But even as we jump forward a few years today, it, the bow's still not tied yet. Yeah, it's still, yeah. It's still in uh, process. It's just a few years <laughs> removed from that. Yeah. And so, um, so I appreciate you being vulnerable again and, yeah. and um, moving this story forward with us. Yeah. So, uh, again, my, yeah, my name's Chris Wells. Um, I'm, 35, soon to be 36, happily married to my wife, Maggie. Have, uh, we've had four kids, Sammy, Jude, Daniel, and Raymond, all four boys. <laughs> all the boys. Uh, all the boys in our household. Maggie gets Callie, so, um, but I also have Ripken. Those are our dogs. I am from Maryland, forever a Marylander. Yep. Um, everything Maryland. Grew up north of Baltimore in Harford County, Bel Air, Maryland. Born and raised there my whole life. Great family. I loved uh, growing up with two brothers, David and Jordan. We grew up in um, what you would consider like a traditional Christian family. Like I never knew anything different than going to church. My parents were married at Mountain Christian Church in Joppa, Maryland. I was there when I was like a week old or something like that. There's a picture of me on the steps over there, you know. And I grew up going to church, going to kids club and uh, youth group and and all the things so faith was a part of my my life from a very early age i'd say and your parents being involved at mountain which is now one of the largest churches on the east coast even um, they were there when it was small yep and so not only were you a part of church you were a part of a church that was growing. Yeah. I mean, I got to see a lot of change. I mean, they opened in my time in my childhood there, they opened two buildings, you know, like they went from what was Walker Chapel to like, what's the Cook Auditorium and then the New Life Centers. Like, I mean, they opened, they became a mega church essentially, like while I was growing up, I was a part of a youth group that was, you know, the same thing happened. I mean, exploded hundreds of kids, you know, everything was huge that we did. Yeah. Yeah, and your parents were very involved. Yeah, my dad was a deacon. My mom was, she was involved. She was sponsoring the youth group. My dad was sponsoring the youth group. They always went on trips with us, um, super involved in the church. Yeah, and so your experience growing up with faith is different than a lot of people because oftentimes when sharing stories or even on this podcast, there's a lot of, I grew up in church, but faith wasn't a part of my life. I believed in God, but it didn't really mean anything. Um, and then these things, these, these things happened, right. but for you, it's, it's the opposite. You had a good church experience, yeah. but that didn't mean that life wasn't messy. Yeah. I think for me, um, we were the wells, right? Like, I mean, we were very well known, was very involved, like even from a young age, like, I mean, I was in all the, the plays and the, all the things that, you know, I, in middle school and high school, I started singing and playing guitar. I led worship, all the things. And my family, like we cultivated this, this image that we had everything together. And I don't think that was like a trying to be like a facade or something, but like for me, like as a kid, like I took on that, like that image that like we, this is something that we need to uphold. 
maybe I didn't necessarily understand it all, but I, I took on a lot of pressure uh, from that. And it's not like, you know, my parents or anybody was like saying, all right, guys, we got to, you know, keep this up, you know, but I took on as a kid, a lot of pressure of like, we, we need to be perfect, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so like, even at a really young age, you know, I, I, I could feel this, this thing in my mind, like pulling me of like, let's keep this image, but I've got all these other things going on as well. And like you said, you don't necessarily know where that pressure came from. It's, just, it's like a pressure that exists. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had parents who, you know, they, they loved me. They worked hard, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And around the time you were in elementary school, Hey, this persona of keeping things together and, and you know, being perfect and, and trying to succeed started to run up against some of the life experience that you were having even as a kid. Yeah. I mean, at, a, at an early age, I was introduced to sex and sexual things. Uh, I remember all the kids, uh, <laughs> we'd go down to the woods, um, by our house and play like, you know, manhunt and things like that. And when we, we found literally, we found a box of playboy magazines yeah. and I'd never seen anything like that before. And, uh, so that was like, Oh, what's this? You know? Um, but then, um, you know, even at a young age, I was, I think I was nine, nine or 10, was introduced to sexual things, masturbation by a neighbor, you know, somebody that was a friend. And long story short, I mean, that carried till I was, you know, that relationship till I was 17. Yeah, I, I you, know, you don't know, like when something starts when you're so young, the, the impact that that will have for the rest of your life. But I think back all the way to then, and that's where things started. It would be, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, statistically speaking, um, children, specifically young boys, are being introduced to pornography at that age. Mm-hmm. So as we keep going with this story, I, I want you all to hear Chris's story, but if you are the parent of children or the parent of young boys, you might want to listen to this twice. Yeah, Once for the redemption of Jesus, but once for the understanding that your, your children are experiencing things that they don't know the long, long-term outcome of this. And here's Chris telling you, Hey, this is the long-term outcome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a six-year-old boy. Yeah. Right. Like he, he's three years away from where I was, yeah. you know, and when all of this started and that's terror as a father, like that's terrifying. Yeah. Like, that's why, like, you know, for me as a dad, like I want, I don't want to shy away from <laughs> sharing my story and like, you know, my kids will know about my struggles and things that I've been through so that I can hopefully set them up for success um, in their life, you know, and it's not to say like, oh, I'll, you know, keep them from pain right. <laughs> and things will, things will happen yeah. in their lives, you know, it's real. Those are the things that at that age began to shape the, this lifelong battle that I would have, you know, so that, st- that started happening, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, in middle school, I started having girlfriends, um, high school started, you know, and even then pornography and even like being faithful in a relationship, like it all started back then. Like I, even in, even in high, in middle school and high school, like I wasn't faithful. Like I was always looking elsewhere. And so like, while I would keep going with this, you talked about this image, like, like I would have these relationships that 
on the outside, I wanted those to look really good. And I had, you know, a great girlfriend who I treated really well. But then on the side, I had this, you know, this secret life that I would keep going as well. And, and at first for a while, they were like really close, you know, as, as things are. And then it starts to, starts to veer off from each other. And you like, you get to a certain point and you're like, wow, like this is, I'm not saying I would like split personality disorder or anything like that, but it's like, oh my gosh, who, this is, this is Chris Wells. And yeah. This is Chris Wells, but they're not the same person. Like, right. What, what the heck is that? Right. Yeah. And you kind of have the Jesus loving, yeah. you know, leading worship, leading worship. Leader, leader as a student, yeah. you know, was in the youth group baptized in the seventh grade. And I remember also thinking like, maybe this will stop. Yeah. Um, if I give my life to Jesus and, and it, it did, you know, I got baptized and I kept doing the things and I probably had like a good run, you know, yeah, a few weeks, but then, you know, life just continued and life it just hit again and again and again, yeah. you know, um, where I learned at a very young age how to manipulate, right. Manipulate situations to where I could keep this image up and, I could lie over here, yeah. you know, the number of lies that I told in high school and college, but lie, the thing about lying is like it compounds, you know, once you tell one, yeah. like you have to remember to keep that one yeah. while you tell another yeah. and you tell another. And that's what always got me caught, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so, so like I had this secret life, but there were points all throughout my life where it, it came out yeah. and then I would manipulate my way around that situation to keep moving forward. Sure. So graduate high school. I even went to a Christian college. That's where we met. Yeah, we met at Milligan College. Um, and like I decided I was going to go into ministry. I remember my youth minister telling me like, you'd be a really great youth minister, you know? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, but, you know, that at least set the course of my life t- for certain people to be in my life, yeah. you know, up till now. But decided to that I wanted to go in ministry and wasn't really sure what that meant, but, um, was, you know, that was a path that I was excited to go down. Yeah. Chris and I could start a podcast just sharing weird stories of Christian people in college, but there is this thing about Christian college where when you show up, there's this feeling that like everybody here loves Jesus and nobody here has problems. Mm -hmm. And, you just kind of function in this place. Like we were recruited, like we're the best of the best, which couldn't be further from the truth. If anything, you were running from stuff. I was running from stuff. You trying to start new versions of our lives. Well, that's what it, it almost was like we tricked ourselves into thinking we had a fresh start, right? Oh yeah, yes, like 100%. We could leave the rest of it. I was like, all right, well, I've just been through some crap, you know, but now I'm here and let's start fresh, yep. right? And let's move forward with the rest of our lives and do everything in the name of the Lord. And yep. it's going to be great. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know, I like all that baggage and all the things that I brought. I mean, I just brought it with me, yep. you know, um, yeah. you know, it was very quick where like I, so at that point I was in a long distance relationship in high school. I started dating Maggie as my wife. Now yeah. uh, we started dating when, uh, right after my junior, well, actually the second to last day of school, my junior year of high school, um, high school sweethearts with all the yeah, baggage that not, the, that. not the hallmark <laughs> not version not of the that, the, but the real version of that. Yeah, the, the, absolutely the real version. But like somehow, even through all of the crap already that we've been through, which I'm sure we'll get to, 
we stayed together and we did a long distance relationship, but that doesn't mean that I was faithful. You know, I still didn't have, like it almost made the secret life easier in a sense, you know, we were apart. We almost broke up several times, but we didn't. We we stuck it out. But at the same time, like I had, I was still continuing to, to build this secret life while at the same time pursuing what I felt God was calling me to, you know. And it's like this, God was clearly leading me down this one path um, that I was very excited for. And honestly, like I was good at, you know. But Satan was just following along the whole freaking way. You know. Yeah, and so Milligan didn't solve it. Nope. It kind of it's kind of like baptism, right? Like you said earlier, it's the easy first step, but it's like you saying, "Hey, I'm going to fight for this trajectory." But oftentimes, it's communicated in church, or you know, we have this idea that this solves everything. And the same is true. You know, you start dating dating Maggie, and you're like, "This is a real relationship." So, so this solves everything. And, it doesn't. And you're like, okay, I'm going to go to Christian college, and this solves everything, yeah. and it doesn't. And so now you, you know, are at college, you're battling this like duality of who God's called you to be and the life that you're living. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really hard. I haven't used this word yet, but in addiction, you you always find a way. And I don't know at this point that I recognized like what I was doing in my life as addiction. Um, that you know, something I learned much later. (laughs) Um, but in addiction, you always find a way, you know? And so like, you know, you learn the, the road, the, uh, around the roadblocks of a Christian college and the internet filtering and all of the things you learn, you learn your way around those. Um, but then I think at that point, like you, addiction takes different forms to feed like what, what your mind thinks it needs, you know? And so when you can't get it, that fix in one way, it'll escalate to find it somewhere else. Sure. Right. And so like really in college, like I created, I really dove into like emotional affair type things sure. where, um, my mind would get its fix on what it needed by, uh, emotional relationships with other people. Yeah. And that led to physical relationships with other people. But I definitely fed that addiction any way that I could. Yeah. And, and affair is affair. Right, whether it's emotional or physical, you shouldn't downplay it, right? No, like there's absolutely not. You feed that through, you know, flirting. Mm-hmm. Um, but other ways you feed that is through the energy and attention that you receive from performing. Well, and I'm a words of affirmation person. And so like I like any attention that I could receive. So that's why like even it sucks to say this, like I was on stage a lot, you know, I was uh, a leader on campus. I would like Um, I received awards on campus. And so like all of the, like the praise and all of the things that like ultimately, like while those were really good things, it, it still did help feed this, this incessant need that I had. Um, and so like I, I, I would seek out that attention, but I would also, it was, it would be like, I would take that attention that I would get in good ways and then manipulate that into like helping feed, it would leave it into relationships with people. And that really sucked. You know, I remember there was somebody in college and I won't mention her name, but I remember she mentioned to me, you could tell that there was like an emotional thing starting to happen there. And she like recognized what it was. And she said, Chris, like you're going to ruin your relationships if you keep doing this. 
if you keep going down this path. And she like put a stop to it. And that was like the first time yeah. ever like that I'd been like stopped, yeah. you know, it didn't cause me to stop. Like it caused me to think sure. for a minute, but then it was like, okay, now I can figure out another, now I have to figure out another path. Sure. And you know, what's interesting though, is like, while all of this is happening, I was in a place where now at this point I'm five years, you know, getting towards graduating college, I'm five years, Maggie and I've been dating for five years. Right. right? And I love her. Like I like genuinely love her. It's not like all these things are happening. I'm just like keeping her on the hook over here because like, I don't love her, but I need her. Like I love her so much. Which is why, like, I hate, there's times I hate, like, looking back on this because of how I manipulated her and treated her in ways that she just didn't deserve. But the reality is, in addiction, like, you can, you can love all of these things, and there's really good things that can happen. You're going to feed your addiction while at the same time loving people. It doesn't, it doesn't like, just because you you're an addict, just because you have addiction doesn't mean that you're incapable of of real love, you know, because of that, because I loved Maggie, like I thought, you know, we continued down what, like what's next? Well, I'm going to graduate college, so let's get married, yeah. you know? So like I graduated college, I proposed, then I got my, what I would thought was like my, my dream job and I became a youth minister. I moved to Florida, I literally graduated, went to your wedding yeah. and then yeah. proposed and then moved to Florida, like all within like two and a half, three weeks. Yeah and then became a youth minister. So a whirlwind there after yeah. college, but I mean, like that was the next step. Yeah. Okay, let's keep pursuing what God wants me to do, and I'll try to shake this yeah. along the way. Yeah, so did you hope that at some point, if you kept making good decisions, yeah, yeah, good godly decisions, like with the path of your life, did, was your hope and expectation that eventually mm -hmm. the good sure. decisions would be so good yeah, outweigh it all that it would all go away? Yeah, it, it would just like all. all the good end. decisions would would all of a sudden like it, something would click and it'd be like, oh well, I, now I have everything that I needed, yeah. right? Like now I have the dream job, I'm getting married. Now I won't need yeah. any of this anymore. Yeah. I'll be fulfilled. I won't need to try to fulfill that need elsewhere, and so. I mean, yeah, I absolutely. Like it, it was praying and hoping that at, at some point one day, this would all just go away. Yeah. Yeah. And what really sucks about life and sin and faith is, um, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And, um, Carlos Whitaker talks about uh, how you can clear out spider webs all day long, yeah. but if you don't kill the spider, they keep coming back. Yeah. And, um, I, I would say like, so our relationship started in college and we worked really hard for four years in college to clear out spider webs, yeah. right? That is just that every Tuesday we met at 10 o'clock at Applebee's and we talked about life. Part of it though, is that we talked about the obvious things, yeah. you know, your long distance relationship with Maggie and like how you were doing emotionally with that. Like I talked about my parents divorce. That was the season where my mom and dad decided, Hey, we're going to get back together again. And I was like, I'm out. Like I'm, I'm done on this. You know, CT, one of our friends who was with us talked a lot about, he was about to graduate and finding his identity. Curtis, same thing. Like he was with us and it was a lot of pressure. Like everyone wants me to go on a mission. What am I going to do? And so we did a lot of stuff for four years, like clearing out cobwebs and trying to, to be better and healthier people, but we never dug deep. You know, and again, here you are in another transition of your life, career, and then eventually marriage, yeah. and it didn't solve it. No. 
in fact, it, it did what addictions do and it got worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I remember thinking like when, once I got married, it was like, I'll be able to shake this, but, and I did for a while. Like you can always white knuckle things to be able to, to last for a while. And I remember like I did, but then eventually like the cycle would start again, pornography, and then that would lead into something else and something else. And, I, and so now at this point, Maggie and I are, I'm 23, Maggie's 22. She just moved down to Florida. We're married and we're leading a ton of kids through some really like vulnerable situations. Yeah. You know, the church we were at was a, you know, it was a large church. You know, there's 70 to 120 kids at, at various times, middle school to high school age, you know, and so as a 23 year old, you don't, you don't have the life experience yet to like actually lead people the way and lead kids the way that they need to be led. You know, it's almost like there's this reputation of youth ministers that it's like you're a youth minister from 22 to 28 and then you need to move on. Right. And it's, it's crazy because we're like almost doing like teenagers and kids a disservice because, you know, while like 22 to 28 year olds are relatable, whatever to them, they have zero life experience yeah. to offer yeah. these kids. They don't know crap. You know? They yeah, know nothing. Have, I, I knew nothing. Yeah. Maggie and I knew nothing. Yeah. And Maggie was, Maggie was a new ish Christian. And you know, she, she was 22. She got baptized when she was 21, yeah. you know, well, and, <laughs> and now she's leading. I mean, I remember her parents questioned that, yeah. right? Her parents were like, are you sure you know what you're getting into? And it was actually, you know, while like I resented it at the time, it was a really wise question to ask yeah. because we absolutely did not know what we were getting into. And little did I know, like while I was really trying to continue to white knuckle and fight off this addiction and be this leader that I knew God was calling me to be and that I was capable of being, Satan was still trying to get in the middle of it. And so he started to use the things that were good in really negative ways in my life to where like when kids are looking for a leader in their life, which they all are like as, as an addict like that, all it did was feed that emotional need that I had. Um, and, uh, it really, it started to put my mind in places and set the foundation for like some really terrible things that when hard things happen later, like, it was very easy for me to like spiral deep into addiction. Yeah. You know, I do remember at one point in ministry, um, I had a, a really good friend down there and, and he was battling similar things. Um, and he and I would be, you know, real with each other occasionally. Um, but he started this group, it was called a life group, um, living in freedom every day. Mm-hmm. And the whole point was to battle sexual addiction. He asked me to help him start this group for like local men. And I was like, yeah, this would be great. And then I was like, oh, maybe this will be the thing too, right? Another thing that'll help me you know, stop this. But I remember going to that group and there were some men in there that like at the time I was like, holy crap, like they've got some really nasty messed up things that are going on in their, their life. But I also remember thinking like, that'll never be me. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I remember one of the men saying was like, if you do not if you not treat your addiction at a, you know now, it will always escalate, um, and that's what happened for me. And you know, it wasn't long before my addiction 
started to escalate again. And it went from emotional to physical. And I started having affairs um, on my wife, and which really just set a trajectory for like really my lo- my life just completely blowing up. Bottoming out. Did um, while this was going on, did Maggie know? You mentioned that you're kind of honest with your friend. What did it look like in your marriage? Like, did you guys talk about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I remember. I remember there was a point where like Maggie discovered that I was you know, using pornography. And that was really hard. Um, but I had, I had already like been publicly vulnerable, you know, with that, like in ministry, yeah. right? Like I, like I was the, the cool youth minister who said like, I beat pornography, yeah. you know, um, which like, again, lie. Um, you know, I hadn't like fully beaten pornography. I did for a season. Sure. You know, and that's when I, then I preached on it, yeah. you know, and then I allowed it to come roaring back, you know. And so there were points like it was ups and downs with Maggie and I, yeah. you know, where like she would catch me in something and I would, at that point, I would like manipulate her and, and, and sometimes say things of like, well, you don't understand and you don't know what this is like and, you know, I'm battling this for you, you know, and we would, I would try and, and I would, you know, essentially tell her like I, I can beat it you know I'll keep beating it and um, and so it was you know an up and down thing for her and I of of you know I would she would catch me in something and then I would you know get out of it and catch me in something and I would get out of it yeah. and so you continue to battle this addiction which at the time you wouldn't call it an addiction, right? right? Like most men, you know, who struggle with pornography are like, oh, it's a struggle with pornography. Um, And what they don't understand is it's not much different than drugs and alcohol where it does rewire your brain and it does create the escalation need in your brain. Like it's not even um, like a boredom thing or uh, what's next thing. It literally is changing the way you think. So you're continuing to battle this it's escalating, but in the midst of all this, right? Cause this isn't the only thing that you guys have battled. You guys find out that you're pregnant. Yeah. In 2014, we found out we we're pregnant, uh, with our first son. We didn't know it was a boy at the time. You know, we just, we'd been trying for a while and, uh, we were so excited. I remember telling everybody, uh, we told you guys, yeah. <laughs> we, we basically at the same time, yeah. we, 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 you know, we were all pregnant and you guys told us you were pregnant. We were like, are you serious? We're pregnant. Yeah. It was like, yeah, an amazing it was thing, nuts. right? It was wonderful. I told my parents, everybody was excited. It was the first grandkid from my side and Maggie's side. You know, we, we saw the heartbeat and then, uh, about week 12, uh, we went in for a checkup and they're looking at the sonogram and you know we're just all glossy eyed like super excited and the doctor is like zooming in looking at things taking pictures of things and we're just thinking it's all normal um and then like the, the the tech leaves and says let me go get a get a doctor and the doc comes in looks at some things and it's like hey there's there's something going on here um and they found what's called a cystic hygroma essentially it's like a little cyst on the back of uh, Sammy's neck, where in most cases the cyst just continues to grow and grow and grow, and then just sucks the life out of the baby essentially. Um, and so we were told we were going to is likely we were going to miscarry. Um, and I remember um, when we found that out, um, 
you guys have put together like a uh, Skype then, I think, yeah. um, of like a bunch of people and we were all praying and praying um, for this child. And uh, we didn't, you know, we, this when we found out it was a boy, we wanted to give him a name, give him, you know, give him the name of Sammy. And um, uh, we went to see a, a specialist um, because now we're considered a traumatic pregnancy, right? And so we... Um, we went to see a specialist and they started us down a path of, you know, either walking us through a miscarriage or walking us through a really difficult pregnancy. Um, and, uh, by the grace of God, um, somehow like the cyst stopped growing. One thing that we did learn though, so like a cystic hygroma is an indicator of Down syndrome. And so that's when we found out that, that Sammy had Down syndrome. So then we started preparing for this life of we were going to be parents of a special needs child. And um, that was going to be, you know, that was going to be our life. You know, we weren't going to have, like we were likely not going to have other kids. We were going to dedicate ourselves to Sammy. You know, and we were ready and we were prepared for that. Um, and we knew it was going to be a hard road. Um, we found out even more in the pregnancy where his, uh, long story short, his esophagus didn't grow properly. Um, and so he, um, you couldn't see his stomach on the sonograms. And that's because no fluid was going down into his stomach. And so, so we knew like there were also going to be complications and surgeries once he was born. Um, rough road, rough pregnancy. Um, Maggie was a champ <laughs> during all of it. Um, again, by the grace of God, we had our little boy. You know, April seventeenth, twenty fifteen. We had Samuel Ray Wells, and it was wonderful. Um, it was extremely hard. Like we had to have him in a, um, you know, it was a C-section, and literally, like you know. Typically, like you see in all like movies and stories, or you hear from friends, like the baby's born and the baby's taken and put in the mother's arms, yeah. and it's this beautiful moment. And but Sammy, uh, like we heard him cry, and then he was gone, <laughs> and then was whisked away by the doctors, and because they had to figure out what's going on with his esophagus, is he gonna, you know? And it was like this, this moment of like, okay, is he gonna live? Are they gonna be able to figure it out quickly enough, or is he gonna like? you know, choke or, or what is it, you know, what's it going to be? And so they, they ended up, you know, doctors were incredible. Um, they got him into the NICU right away. And, but it was, you know, two hours almost before I got to go see him. Yeah. Maggie didn't see him for like 10 hours yeah. uh, before she finally got to be like wheeled in there um, to go see him, which I, as a mother, I couldn't even imagine like what that would be like. Yeah. Um, so then they, you know, through, you know, uh, x-rays and all the things they figured out what was going on and what the issue was with his esophagus um, the doctors created a plan that they walked us through and so at day four he had a surgery um, and the surgery the goal of the surgery was to help grow literally grow his esophagus it was a surgery that had only been done 200 times wow. in the history and Sammy was the smallest baby ever on record for this surgery to be done on <laughs> history maker, our boy. So, um, so Sammy, um, had the surgeries and, uh, they ended up having to like, there were these strings that were going in and, 
attaching to his esophagus, so they had to keep him sedated because if he moved, like it could, he could rip him out and never it would have to do it again. Um, so for several weeks he was sedated, um, and uh, and then they, you know, his esophagus it grew. It did what they hoped it would do, and they had the second surgery to attach his esophagus together and that was successful and it was like everything's looking great you know and you know hopefully in a few weeks we'll be we'll be going home uh so uh, because he was on so many um you know they had him on drugs and stuff to keep him sedated they had to develop a process to like wean him off of that um uh, unfortunately on we had mother's day and that was really cool um, and then on May 13th, while they were doing the weaning process, um, his little body just couldn't handle it. Um, and, uh, he ended up contracting pneumonia in the process and, um, his little heart just gave out and, uh, and he didn't make it. Um, I remember, uh, you know, that's a day that's like... <laughs> Uh, it's always in my head um you know i remember when the doctors when he crashed um and the doctors are working on him and they came out and and maggie and i are standing in the hallway looking through the window like you know and then like they would stabilize him and i thought everything was going to be okay and then he crashed again and, and they stabilized him and um you know the doctor came out and said to said to Maggie and I was, he's like, I can either keep trying or I can get him to a place where you guys can hold him again. Um, cause we hadn't held him since he was four days old, you know? Um, and so the doctors got him stable and we got to hold him as he passed. Um, and, uh, <sighs> Um, it was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, I remember calling you that day, and uh, there's nothing, no, you know, no pain you can ever imagine of, uh, you know, the that you've ever been through of like losing and losing a child. You know, we just posted Brian and Karen's podcast last week, and they they talked about autumn's passing and how it's like worst case scenario like it's as a parent that's your nightmare and and here you guys are you know 26 days in you know i know for us personally elise was born 10 days after sammy and both of us we, we were just so excited about our kids yeah, growing up together the, the dream you know and and knowing elise now uh and who she is as a person Man, like her and Sammy. Yeah, it would have been uh, world, world records. Yeah. <laughs> and changers. Uh, yeah, but you guys are you're still in Florida. Yeah. You're still doing ministry. Still, um, as you put it earlier, just not equipped. But now you're going through this other thing that nobody can prepare you for. Obviously, especially in ministry, you see these things happen. Like people, you know, lose parents and people have miscarriages and people get cancer and you see it as, as you lead these groups of people and there's empathy and there's sympathy and there's sorrow and grieving and it's real, 
but then it happens to you. Yeah. And it's just so different. Yeah. So I mean, we had two funerals. We had one in Florida and then he, at that point we knew we were moving and we have talked about it. We were getting ready to move up here to help plant collective to be with us. Yeah. And, um, we were super excited about that. And that was like everything, like we were having our baby and then we were going to do this thing (laughs) together. Right. Um, since we knew we were moving up to Maryland, we wanted him buried up here. We didn't want to bury him down in Florida, um, where we would never go again. (laughs) Um, Florida's the worst. (laughs) So, um, you know, we we buried him up at Mountain at my home church. Um, so we get you know we get to visit him all the time. Um, and uh, but then we had to kind of close things out yeah. in Florida. Like we were, you know, at that point it was May. We had four more months, you know, um, to you know, close the book down there, if you will. Um, and so what I did was just what I learned my whole life from my addiction was just white knuckle. You know, I white knuckled my grief. I was going to be the strong one. I was going to be the one that, um, you know, Maggie could lean on and rely on. And, um, and so, but all I did was just like push my emotions down, you know? Um, but you can only do that so much. Right. And so things, things started, in other ways, you know? And so that's when like, you know, because I was trying to be strong over here, I became really weak in other areas in my life. Um, and that's when my, like, I really leaned hard into my addiction, you know, the physical side of things escalated. Um, and where, you know, I, I like leaned into affairs, even in those short months after, you know, my addiction really spiraled. And, and one thing I do want to make sure is very, very clear. Your addiction and Sammy's passing are completely unrelated things. Because there's this BS in the church, and, and not in the church that you grew up in, but you guys did experience some of this down in Florida, and even probably battled some of this in your own mind of what Satan was telling you, is that this is the consequence of sin. Yes. Right. And so part of your grieving wasn't just the loss of a child. It was, again, a lie that Satan puts in your head that, hey, if you were faithful, these things don't happen. And so I do want to say really quickly that that's not true. That is not the way God works. That's, you know, we do feel the weight and consequence of our sins. Um, but you feel that in your marriage, which we're going to get to. It has nothing to do with Sammy. And so let me just say this for people listening who have been told that in the past or are dealing with this now. Um, that's not the way God works. Right? right? God um, wants justice. He always wants justice. But, but that justice is found in heaven or hell. Sure. Right? Um, it's not like a double jeopardy scenario where God is going to smite you on earth to, and then smite you for eternity. It's, it is eternity. And... You know, for some reason in the church, uh, and you know, there's people coming on the podcast later. They'll share a little bit more about how they went through hard things in their life, and they had leaders and pastors tell them, "Well, that's because you have this sin." Yeah. Completely unrelated. Yeah, that's crap, right? But I also know you were battling that. Yeah, I mean, I battled like I don't deserve to be a father. You know, God didn't see me fit yeah. <laughs> to be a, to be Sammy's dad, yeah. and that's why 
he took him because he can do a better job than I could here, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I allowed Satan to manipulate that in my mind. And so then I looked for escape yeah. everywhere I could. Yeah. And that led to more affairs, yeah. more relationships. Five months later, though, you guys are moving up to be with us. And it's another situation where it's like, all right, going to close that book and leave it all. Yeah. Leave it all behind. Yeah. And that's what I had hoped for. Yeah. Yeah. And for us on our end, um, you know, I'd known you at that point since I was 18. Yeah. We were 10 years. You know, a lot of our energy and attention was on caring for you guys as, as you continued to mourn and grieve the loss of Sammy and the impact of a dream that Sammy was a part of that would change, but has to stay the same. And, and, you know, kind of the, the future of that. Um, but you guys move up here and partly because for me personally, you know, going through some of the church planner stuff that I'd gone through, they, they said, Hey, you're too introverted. Like you're not going to be good at leading this church. You need one. We don't know if you can do it. And I thought, screw you guys. <laughs> I'm not going to be an extrovert. I'm going to ask my friends. Sure. But a big part of it too was you're from this area. God very clearly gave us both this unique opportunity to come back to this area of the United States that we grew up in. We had friends who didn't know Jesus in, um, in an area that um, specifically devours pastors and church planters and chews them up and spits them out, and um, specifically ones who aren't from this region. And, and we both very clearly felt like God was saying, hey, go do this thing. Yeah. And we had talked about it in college even, like, wouldn't it be great if we all planted a church together one day? And it was like, what a crazy dream, because Michael's unfit for that. And, <laughs> you know, we also always fight. But God called us back to this area. Um, you and Maggie move up before officially coming on staff at Collective, because we were still in, like, the weird kind of pre-launch sure. Really, I would say we were kind of in like a probationary period because I had fired our church planting organization. Uh, and so I was being reformed uh, and fixed, apparently. And you started doing, you know, essentially a church planter residency um, at some of our supporting churches. Um, so talk to us about the duality now of grief and addiction. Uh, it was August of 2015. We moved up here. I started working um, at a church in Annapolis and some at a church in White Marsh. Um, and, you know, there's all these like exciting things happening. Um, and yet, and so like I almost like I had this, this feeling of like, all right, let's leave all of that in Florida. But I like, was almost trying to package like my grief into that yeah. as well. Um, and, um, I wasn't, I wasn't able to, um, I wasn't able to fully health in a healthy way, deal with my grief while preparing for what, you know, for my job, you know, which was ministry. I would acknowledge as well, working in Annapolis, and you're working uh, in White Marsh, you're kind of bouncing back and forth, 
Zero accountability. Zero. And and that's from me as well. Sure. You know, and, and one of my biggest regrets from that season of our friendship, not even just ministry, is like not checking in. And we and, and we talked a lot about Sammy and and loss and, and and that existed, but not seeing the warning signs, not seeing the red flags of you white knuckling your grief, unknowing of addiction. But but even so, like you were going through a lot, and it was just like existing. So what's supposed to be this like fresh start, this clean break, turns into this scenario where you and, and Maggie are just kind of looking at these things that God promised in the future, maybe this church plant in Frederick, um, but nothing's getting better. You're just kind of existing at that point. That's when everything started to bottom out for you guys. I had a ton of freedom at this point where there wasn't a lot of structure happening like in these residencies. And, and at the same time, I didn't have like a structured grief process either. And so... Freedom in, in addiction is like a really bad thing <laughs> um, when you can just do whatever the heck you want. Um, and so like, I mean, I essentially worked from home yeah. for a large portion of the week um, where I would just be like sitting in my apartment at the time. Um, and, you know, when you're when you're struggling with grief, but also, you know, in isolation, like that's when things get messy. And so for me, like, I was in a really lonely state um, because, like, while there was, like, the dream of what we were preparing for, it was going to be a while <laughs> to get there. And I was basically only working, like, two days, <laughs> two day, two or three days a week, you know, and then I had to fill my time. And for somebody who doesn't know how to deal with grief um, or process grief in a, in a healthy way, I went to my unhealthy tendencies you know and that's when really things started to hit rock bottom for me Um, my addiction escalated heavily things that when I'd heard like the men in that group that I was in talk about like I went past those things you know Um, so like while previously my addiction had led to like emotional and sometimes physical affairs this like went just hard into the physical where it was more about numbing than anything else chasing this high that I could get from the physical you know and that would come in you know all sorts of of forms that you know searching things out online but also just you know meeting people (laughs) like it was it was it was I mean it got bad quickly Eventually, you guys moved to Frederick, and five months out from planting, from officially launching, and you and I are down in Florida Florida. at a conference again. Uh, I'm sitting in this class, and this guy's teaching about, like, fundraising, and I get a text that's like, hey, you need to come down and meet us outside. And, you know, through people that we mutually know and through, you know, some other avenues— uh, it had been brought to attention of some other people that you were texting somebody that wasn't inappropriately. Yeah. 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 And, and was going down the road of some sort of affair again and it came to light. Yeah. And this was like, this was like the real first time where like, I mean, I've been caught yeah. before, you know, um, 
and I manipulated my way through those situations. But this is the first time where it was like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Where there was like a question all of a sudden of, are things going to come crashing down? And they almost did. But like, I was somehow able to, uh, I don't want to say like, I was able to manipulate the situation again and turn it into like a, you know, a grief slash, you know, life's really hard thing. And, but I also continued to lie in that, oh, this, this isn't, this isn't a pattern. You know, this is a, um, this was a one-off. Um, but we fly home, I drop you off at your house and I tell you, like, you got to get Maggie and get over. We live two blocks apart at the time. And uh, we sit down and, I mean, we grill you. I'm not a passive person. There's yelling. There's crying. There's confusion. We all decide that, hey, let's let's try to handle this the right way. You know, and so um, at Collective. And I will say, I think we did handle the right, I think Collective and the church handled it the right way with the information that they were sure given. yeah yeah we put you on leave yeah. sent you to therapy sent maggie to therapy read books changed passwords yeah. you know all these like really good things so that i teach rules. on yeah yeah, yeah 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 boundaries galore you did everything we asked you to do i think that was probably one of those seasons where you were successful yeah. in doing the right thing yeah. even as you change the consequence of your sin still exists so, and it so. always catches up to you. Yeah. Um, if you choose not to deal with it. Yeah. And so darkness the, always comes to light always. Yeah. yeah. And so the fall of 2017 collective is like six or seven weeks old, eight weeks old. Yeah. I was supposed to be preaching yeah. for the first time yeah. at collective, which I was super excited about. Yeah. Um, and I remember, you getting a getting a call Facebook message yeah yeah. and um which led to phone calls which led to conversations and all essentially like everything that I had tried to leave behind in Florida came to light and I remember driving over to your house and or to your apartment at the time and um I remember saying to Maggie this is this is it this is, it, I can't salvage yeah. this one. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, but I told her, like, in that moment, I was like, I need you to know, like, I love you. And what we didn't realize, like, she had already known, like, the things that you discovered, I had already been caught in, yeah. you know? Um, and I had, you know, kept that secret, you know? Um, but what I didn't realize was that this one thing was going to be the domino to where like everything else came to light. Not just like what I'd already been caught in, like what my deepest, darkest stuff that I had, you know, where I'd hit rock bottom over the course of the last year, all of that was coming out. So not just pornography, not just the emotional affairs, but the physical. Yeah. Where like the, spiral of addiction you know where where it came to light that oh i'm i'm an addict i'm an addict and i remember when i remember being on the phone with somebody and 
they were yelling at me, you, you have a problem. This isn't just something simple. And they were like, you need help. And so I literally remember pulling up my computer and I Googled sex addiction. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it's a God thing or what, but they're like, there's not a ton of that help for that out, out there. Um, but there was here in Frederick. Yeah. I remember just Googling that that weekend and I, and I found that and I called and made an appointment. Um, but that's when like everything hit the fan, yeah. you know, where uh, it was very clear. It was, all right, nope, Chris, your, your time on staff at Collective is done. Maggie kicked me out. Um, so I left and I showed up at my, literally showed up at my parents' doorstep. They had no idea yeah. what was going on. Didn't know anything. And here they are taking in their 31-year-old uh, son. Yeah. And I'm leaving my wife and my one-year-old <laughs> at the time at home. And there it is. Like, I'm, I'm, all, I'm at the bottom. I'm at, at the floor, <laughs> you know, that I didn't even know was there. Yeah. Obviously, you're here telling this story so a lot has happened since then a lot has happened Um, but this wouldn't be a good podcast without the cliffhanger every once in a while so what we're going to do is we're going to pause and uh, we'll finish up this episode right now and Maggie's going to come in and join us for the next one and so um, Chris thank you so much for being vulnerable and and sharing and um, getting us to this point I know a lot of people listening are, are waiting for the redemptive uh, okay, what comes next? You're just gonna have to listen to the next one to see um, what happens with Chris and and hear a little bit more about Maggie and how God really has restored and redeemed everything. But Chris, thank you so much for sharing up to this thank point. You. Thank you for being vulnerable, and uh, we look forward to part two. Me too. Thanks. <laughs>